Welcome to Meteor Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. How's it going? So, Robbie, it's going great. Uh, we just had a crazy blizzard here, and so it's a good excuse to be holed up inside and hanging out with all of our pets. All your pets. Yeah, it no. was just like stack, like a 10-foot stack of snow, like covering all the streets that no one could like move around. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I heard New yeah. York had particularly really good um, snow removal. Like, real, like, like it has like some of the best of any city around. I think after Sandy, they like, like upped the emergency management response stuff and like really prepared. Because at least that's what I've heard is that it didn't used to be like this. Yeah. But I think that they did stuff after Sandy. But um, so, dude, your movie's out, and it's been getting really good feedback, and it's super awesome. And I want you to tell people about it so they can watch it. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, if you've been listening to the show, you probably already know um, that I've been working on a documentary series called The Very Heavy Agenda. Um, it's it's a three-part uh, documentary series. It's um, each, each installment is like pretty much a full-length movie. And uh, I just came out with part two of the series. Um, it's called How We Learn to Stop Worrying and Love the New Neocons. And it's kind of, um, it's just the culmination of over a year of, uh, of work and research about um, where did the neoconservatives go? Uh, the same neoconservatives that were, you know, doing all this horrible shit during Bush and sort of what happened to them now? Like, where are they now? Um, you know, are they still active? What are they doing? Um, and just spoiler alert, they are still active and they're all, they're still doing <laughs> extremely horrible shit. Um, the only difference is now, uh, we have a president, um, who is not a neocon and is not necessarily like neoconservative friendly, but he's letting all these neocons outside the white house and even inside the, the government, um, basically guide all this really crucial policy, um, specifically policy having to do with Russia and the United States and Ukraine and the Baltics and NATO, and um, basically helping to turn it into a giant clusterfuck, um, taking us to the edge of uh, of literally a new like Cold War posturing towards Russia. So, um, and you're in the movie, uh, uh Different parts about your time at Russia today are sort of weaved into the story because the story revolves around um, this neoconservative think tank called the Foreign Policy Initiative. And again, if you've been listening to our show, you you would know that the Foreign Policy Initiative sort of uh, tried to launch this, this strange um, attack on the Russia today, the network itself, um, as like part of like this weird sort of cold war information war they were trying to resurrect and um that's just one part of the story but the larger story is basically these neocons um and how they've driven us to this um into this weird situation um and it's b two big people um that are part of that are victoria newland um the secretary of state for eurasian affairs um and her husband robert kagan who's the co-founder of uh project for the new american century so that's pretty much the plot of the movie and um you can you can watch it right now at um on Vimeo on demand or at if you go to a, a very heavy agenda.com uh you can purchase a DVD of it and watch it on demand and uh 
Yeah, you've seen it, Abby. Yeah, what, do you, what are your thoughts about it? It, I thought it was incredible. I mean, the first the first movie was great um, because it's kind of taking you through, like, the fall of of Pinak and the and at, at the end of it, you know. And then this one, it's just like it breaks through the media narrative um, that confused the fuck out of everyone at the time. Um, it was Russia saying one thing, the U.S. saying the other. Um, RT was used as this conduit um, to defend Russia's position as it exists to do. Um, the U.S. was painted as the good guy in this whole thing when really, I mean, it's just a shocking reality. If you if you look at after the Cold War, what NATO did to build up around um, the Baltic states is just like a no-brainer. That, you know, it's just like total provocation. Um, and, and you just show these dueling media narratives and it's just, it's a very fascinating journey through that time. I mean, not only because I was in the center of this firestorm, um, but it, it's like, it's just really a central tool to understand this time, um, and to understand the media manipulation that was going on and to also understand the real story behind, you know, Liz Wall's resignation, the FPI, who these people really are. They love to come out there and mock people who question them by saying, Look, we've always had a bipartisan foreign policy agenda. Like we all write documents about foreign policy plans. It doesn't mean that we're controlling anything. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, a conspiracy of men when when really it's just a conspiracy in plain sight. And these people, um, you know, basically just boast about how much control they have and, and how much infiltration they've had of the government, where where you have Robert Kagan actually saying that he might be Hillary Clinton's advisor. I mean, that's crazy. You know, and his wife is has her hands tied all over Ukraine, one of the worst situations in the world right now. Um, and it's just a very, it was a very emotional experience for me to watch it because, of course, this whole thing that happened to me where I was taken down and torn apart to shreds for everything that I've ever said. Um, when really my main point was that the media was lying about what was happening and, um, and that I felt like everyone had an agenda and I was being used as this pawn. And it was just crazy to see it hijacked by neoconservatives that I've been, that we've been talking about for the last decade and see them right up front in DC trying to ruin my life um so yeah it was it was super crazy and surreal because I kind of like honestly tuned out at that time like I, I it's like a blackout almost like all the shit that was going on I'd like totally tuned it out to stay sane I still had to go to work and put on a live tv show every day you know when all that stuff was going on the crazy thing to me is that I know that most people aren't going to see this movie um most people won't care but I think that it would be really interesting to see what a lot of the people who fell for the Liz Wall thing would think mm -hmm. after watching this. So like a lot of the people right. on the liberal side of things, sort of like Chris Hayes and, you know, a lot of these like people who claim to be like libertarian or liberal, like Dave, Dave Weagle and all these other people like totally went to bat for Liz Wall, like literally mm -hmm. spent time and energy of their own to defend her and prop her up. Now, I can't say for sure if they were like in on this, if they were like doing a favor for Jamie Kerchick or the neocons of DC. Um, I'd like to not think they no. were. No, 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 no. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's the same reason why these journalists spend all of their time um, talking about how what a criminal assault is. It's like the same shit. It's like they want to have their legacy on paper being like, 
I'm I'm going to like maintain my journalistic credibility by being like I'm not an apologist for Russia. I'm not an apologist for Assad, and so I'm just going to like. So you're an apologist for you at the U.S. and you have yeah, Stockholm syndrome, and that's what it turns and that's what it turns Fucking into, idiots, unfortunately, man. because. Yeah, I mean, that's what it really is, Robbie. I really, I've seen this so much within the DC establishment of people who are just tiptoeing around bullshit and and they don't want to come out and just say, no, I'm an anti-imperialist and I think the US is a fucking criminal empire and I don't want it to invade Syria or bomb Syria. I'm not Russian. Like, I don't understand. And it's the same shit. It's the same shit with people praising Liz Wall and saying that what she did was great because they, they want to come out on paper and say RT's a joke without ever turning the reflection in on MSNBC or CNN, what complete utter jokes those networks are. And, you know, it's run on corporate dollars, which is let's, let's compare the crimes of corporate, the corporatocracy to the Russian empire. I'm sure it's probably comparable. The former Russian empire. I'm saying that as a joke because people tell me all the time, like there's more than one empire. And I'm like, actually the USSR collapsed long ago. It's and so look at how disturbing many bases each country has. Like that, dude. Can you believe dude, it's it? It's so sad. It's like, it's like Sam Harris syndrome. It's like, dude, just look at a map. Can you imagine <laughs> how someone, how like a normal group, like room full of people would react like during like the Bush administration to someone saying something that ludicrous? Like if they were like, if you start, so let's say if you're in like a room full of people who knew all about Abu Ghraib and all the torture mm-hmm. stuff and you're like, hey guys, like the U.S. is doing some really fucked up shit. We're like renditioning all these people. We're, you know, we're torturing them. We're, we have Gitmo, you know, like we really got to like do something about this. Like this is really bad. And someone just in the back of the room said, hey, uh, you know, the U.S. is, uh, is bad, but uh, so is Russia. Everybody yeah. be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, is that, what does that have to do with anything? Or what is going on? I mean, that's literally how weird it is that we're sitting here talking about Russia constantly right. as a means right. to cover up our own crimes and corruption. That is literally the only reason. It, okay, there's one reason why we're so obsessed with Russia is because we want to drive this media narrative to make it seem like they're the bad guys in the Baltics and Ukraine. That's one reason. But I think more importantly... The media here and the media class here realize that by constantly talking about Russia, it actually creates a situation where the U.S. looks good by comparison. It's like the tip. It's like classic 1950s jingoism, like Cold War jingoism. The more we talk about Russia, the more we can be narcissistic and like pump up our own and, you know, hype up our own morals here. Yeah, exactly. You just hit it right on the head. This is a fucking joke, man. I can't believe any liberal would fall for that. The people going around saying that there's a Russian empire, uh, I don't, there's literally something mentally wrong with them. I I don't even, I don't know what it is. If they're just being contrarian, that's one thing. I mean, that's maybe the best way to explain it. They're just like being, trying to be contrarian or something. Um, But I I honestly don't understand. It's it's super crazy. It it makes it. I asked Jill Stein this question because I didn't know where I haven't really heard her like rail against empire because she's such a sweet woman and super like just like jubilant all the time and never really like ragging on like hardcore like we do. So I was asking, I just asked her, I was like, do you think the U.S. is an empire? She's like, if, if the U.S. isn't an empire, then there's never been an empire. She's like, the U.S. makes Rome look like a joke. Rome was nothing compared to what the U.S. is now. She's like. The U.S. has what over a thousand bases, if you include the lily pads that we don't even know the Pentagon can't even account for. On top of that, hundreds and hundreds of military interventions. If you look at Latin America alone, I mean, the death squads and dictatorships employed there, like ISIS style, 
800 people massacred in one village from a person that was trained by the U.S. government and the School of Americas. I mean, that's just one case. Everything's tied together and everything stems back to this country, pretty much in terms of like the problems that we're seeing today, the wars in the Middle East, immigration, the refugee crisis. I mean, yeah, sure. There's other like um, assets of the empire. You know, the former British Empire is now like this like little uh, like puppet to the U.S. that does whatever we say in France and, and Italy still. But I mean, come on to, to say that the U.S. isn't an empire, you're just a complete fucking idiot. And the amount of bases that the U.S. has, I think if you compare every other country in the world, their bases put together outside of their own country, I think it amounts to like 30. The the whole new atheist argument about like Muslims and Islam. So ISIS existed, came on the map about, what, three years ago when Obama like finally made that declaration that this is da 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 and then it you know rose out of al-qaeda where did al-qaeda come from rose out of the taliban the mujahideen the funding of all this shit of course you can trace that back to the u.s that's easy but if you're looking in the context of religion it makes absolutely no fucking logical scientific sense to look at the middle east and be like oh isis is because of islam why if, if isis was because of islam then why didn't ISIS exist when Islam was founded? Like, why haven't we seen just ISIS, tr like troves of ISIS-style gangs, like, be you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden this comes on the map in the vacuums that the empire has created, this radicalized form of Islam, like, bolstered up by U.S. weaponry um, and empowered by all these fucking militias we're training. And then, you, and then you have the audacity to say that that's religion that caused that? Are you out of your mind? What have Muslims been doing for the last hundred years? Where was ISIS in the last hundred years? Why does ISIS exist today? Like, it's just like such a babyish binary view of the world that it's really hard to talk to people. It's like, it's almost not even worth engaging with those people because they're working from a framework based on intentionally manipulative lie. It's not even like the framework is based on ignorance or it's based on naivety. It's like a framework by design as, uh, designed as a lie like there like you just right. said there is no right. absolutely no connection between isis like springing up out of the situation that it's like a result of islam like to deduce <laughs> it to that and to do it from this point of view like i'm a neuroscientist and i'm going to like have this like cultural anthropological theory it gives it some kind of air of authority like it's some kind of scientific fact but it's complete speculation and I just, I think it really does play on uh, your prejudices and your fear. I mean, that, and that's why oh, these people get sucked into it. 100%. 100%. It was like all the people who are on the cusp of waking up, like with during the Bush administration and all the wars and the continuation of Bush era policies under Obama. And then it's all of a sudden ISIS is on the map. Media covers it 24-7, hysterical, rabid fear-mongering. And it's just like droves of people who are just back to where we were after 9-11. It's just like, damn. I mean, I really thought that we had, as a society, like learned a little bit. I mean, no. And I'm not saying that we haven't. I'm sure that there's a massive amount of people who are woken up. I understand that that's why Bernie Sanders' campaign has a lot of energy, and that's great. But at the same time, I feel like more and more I'm seeing people like, why are they even following me? You know, I've been consistent this whole time. It's like, where did these people even come from? I know. From? That's, that's an interesting... It's very no, weird. That, that's an interesting thing. I mean, there has been a shift. And the question is, is it an organic shift? Or is it like a propaganda campaign designed, like floated out there to get people 
to think uh, to like get sucked into these sort of like trap belief systems to keep them sort of like trapped in being like an apologist for the empire you know or being sort of a semi-apologist yeah. for our military endeavors either by sort of pat you know be, being passive about it or even defending it so i mean yeah. in two, reality two that's where all those belief systems yeah, take you you know so it's kind of like you have to wonder if our empire is this powerful and if the military industrial complex really is this powerful are they driving this like this is sort of like these these campaigns to get people to think this way because it's it is strange you like you said it, it is strange that people haven't woken up more and haven't evolved more out of this that all they had to do is see like the vice isis special and then they'd all lose their shit you know and like revert back to man children it is really really uh, strange um yeah, VJ Prashad, I encourage everyone to watch this interview that I did with him because he just breaks down the completely nonsensical military strategy. Like how first it was about Assad, chemical weapons, red line, and then it became about bombing ISIS. And then now we're working with the two worst people that we could be, Turkey and Saudi Arabia to bomb ISIS. Turkey, on the other hand, doesn't give a fuck about ISIS because they're also leaving their border completely open buying isis oil all this shit they really care about just bombing the kurds which is like a progressive party that threatens and undermines turkish sovereignty so that's their whole thing and the the fact remains that we need the kurdish forces on the ground in order to defeat isis if like like obviously that's what needs to happen like the military forces on the ground in that region need to do that and and the fact that we're just emboldening turkey to bomb kurds while we're working with the kurds and training them to like it makes absolutely zero sense and i love vj because he was just like why should you and i explain this he was like i don't want to sit here and explain this <laughs> he was like he was like the rulers of the empire need to explain this to us he's like i'm not going to sit here and try to explain nonsensical military strategy he was like it's clearly all he his whole philosophy is it's all been just one step closer to iran um but but on a side note i wanted to talk about two propaganda campaigns that i saw recently and Oddly enough, um, one of them originated from Waz Mustafa, Syrian wait, wait, Emergency Task Force. Wait, wait, I just wanted to go what? back and have you clarify something. Yeah. When you said that's what needs to happen, you mean like if if you were interested in defeating ISIS, like that's how you would. Yeah, go yeah. About I mean, it. I mean, I mean, the only way ISIS would be defeated is with like local forces that were figuring out their yeah. own territorial boundaries and stuff. You know what I mean? Like where the Kurds and Iraqi forces military forces and stuff like that well, d- i definitely do not mean any sort of like western train like o- oversight or anything i mean it does mean <clears throat> but it's just crazy it, it does um shit what was i gonna say i mean it's it does bring up that concept of destabilization um you know and how destabilization might actually be the goal to some extent you know for some of the the real strategists like behind the scenes that um you know, I mean, and, and that in yeah. a way would get us closer to Iran is uh, by creating just oh, a yeah. huge instability in Syria. Um, by proxy, it's going to affect the other countries in the region. Um, yeah. So. Yep. And even Netanyahu admitted this. He was like being interviewed by Zarid, Vek, whatever the hell that guy's name is on CNN. Zarid something. Anyway, they're at Davos, this like engorged, disgusting billionaire club. Um, like in fucking Switzerland or something, but they, but he was interviewing Netanyahu about Saudi Arabia. And he was like, look, uh, Saudi Arabia is really closely aligned with ISIS, like in terms of their judicial system, all this stuff. And Netanyahu's response was just like, look, Saudi Arabia understands that the real threat is like Iran. 
And like even he was just like really brazen about how they just want to take out Assad because Assad is helping fund Hezbollah and Hamas. And it's very obvious. Like that's why they don't, you know, it's like the linchpin in the region that's keeping Gaza emboldened to fight Israel, that's keeping Lebanon strengthened to fight Israel. So, I mean, two propaganda campaigns that came out recently, one of them was the Madaya um, starvation that one town that everyone was like, this is under siege. There's all these photos of these starving children. And it was horrifying, right? I mean, I woke up to all, it was all over the, every news channel, all over Twitter. I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. It was like Assad is starving these civilians in mass, besieging this town, not letting anyone eat. And then, you know, I always have to look at Mike because Mike always is like, okay, there's obviously like a bigger part of this story. So I looked into it and the Madaya is besieged by ISIS, and so, you know, you're, there's a civil war, hundreds of thousands of people have died, about 100,000 military, Syrian military officials have died in the war. It's, so when people say Assad has killed 200,000 of his own civilians, it's a complete fucking bullshit. I'm not, and it's sad that I even have to say this, I'm not sitting here and apologizing for Assad's like torturous, barbaric prison policies. What I'm saying is that the fucking dogmatic rhetoric about him being a brutal dictator just like Saddam and Gaddafi and that's a reason why we should go in there and oust him is insane and it's so convoluted and this is a perfect example is that this one town was besieged by ISIS so it's like okay so who are you going to blame are you going to blame Assad or ISIS because you could have taken it either way but the media just hysterically didn't even mention the fact that ISIS was actually controlling this town and besieging the town folk so it's like I don't even understand how that would work if they wanted to let food in. So I don't, I don't, that was one weird thing. And then another thing that I was reading is just these constant, like New York times or something was just like Russia bombs bakery kills like 30 civilians in this town where they like, just were, we're, they're about to open this bakery. And then it was just like, gave all the civilian death count of the Russian bombs and all these civilians have died compared to the U S has only killed like 200 civilians in Syria. And then I'm looking at the closer print and it's like, yeah, he, what they consider civilians is people in al-Nusra and the, that like united front that contains like Islamic terror, like ISIS style people. And I'm just like, wait, I don't, <laughs> I don't fucking get it. I don't understand <clears throat> how everyone can just like, if you're a journalist, how fucking um, irresponsible is that to not cover the fact that no, that's not true. You can't just come out there and say that without explaining like what's going on in this town. It's just so um, emotionally driven and super biased and super anti-Russian. And it's just, it's just absurd. Obviously I think that bombing Syria is not going to work. I totally detest any country bombing it, but it's just like, damn, let's just be honest here. Well, the, the, and, and what you just brought up, I mean, and this is, this is the interesting thing. It's interesting how our podcast is almost turned into like the Syria, Ukraine, yeah. Like regular discussion because it's like, first of all, there's not enough people talking about it um, from the, the perspective that we have. So it's almost like we feel like we need to talk about this every time we talk because it's still going mm -hmm. on. And in, way, in a lot of ways, it's gotten worse. We're more entrenched in it. Um, but I, I, the point I always think about when, when any any of this stuff comes out, I didn't actually follow this this Madaya thing when it happened. So I was just sort of like, I, I read about it like after the fact. I think I saw you already talking about it. So I already sort of like got your perspective on it before I even like read the story. But it just makes me think like 
how can people sit there and act like they're honestly talking about Syria? Like people who, who want to sit there and say that, you know, liberals are being Assad apologists or saying things like, hey, liberals, like I know that you're skeptical of another military intervention, but this thing in Syria is a really big crisis and we really need to help and you really need to step up and speak out against it and stop being like an Assad apologist. Like, it's interesting that those people never, ever say, um, you'll never say like Charlie Ar- Anarchy or, or any of those people, like Molly Crabapple, you'll never see them acknowledge that, hey, I know that the CIA has literally been intervening in Syria to try to instill regime change since 2006, but like they never, ever acknowledge that. That yeah. That not only has the then the, not only have they been doing regime change since 2006, they've been funding rebels like openly since like 2011, like on like in publicly. What right. we know publicly, so privately they've probably been even funding rebels even longer. You know what does that mean? Sowing regime change, like what exactly do they do? So from like a a four year five year period we don't know what they were doing but we know that wikileaks cable show they were actively doing things to try to overthrow the assad uh, government and try to like hype up you know resistance groups in the country so how much are we actually to blame here for the civil war itself the civil war that all these quasi liberal preacher people want us to intervene and and like step in on it, it's so bizarre when you think about it that way that like they don't even acknowledge. Instead, they right. actually mock trying to create this sort of black and white argument instead of acknowledging the extreme gray area that is fundamentally inherently part of this serious situation. You can't pull that out of it and act like you're telling the truth. Like you, it's, you have to acknowledge it. Otherwise, you're basically lying about it. You know, right? Like, even if you agree right. with intervening, if you don't acknowledge that aspect of it, you're lying. So that's what I find right. so fascinating. Why are all these people lying? Like, are they so married to the pro-Syrian intervention argument? They did. They are worried that acknowledging that they'll like open up the door to like the reality of the situation. I just don't. I don't get it. I would take them well, more seriously. Another, yeah. Right. Well, that's another thing that VJ explains really well because he's just talking about how you know when the Arab Spring came on the map. The empire immediately picked which, you know, which police state monarchies they were going to um, support and which dictators they were going to try to foment and and help catapult like the regime change in, you know. And so Libya was really quick. Syria, it's gone really fucked up. Um, but at the same time, when the U.S., like the ambassador, U.S. state ambassador just ran to the fucking ground of Syria as soon as they started protesting and like... <laughs> relatively tiny pockets of people i mean compared to compared to the rest of the syrian population who is mostly you know pro assad and that's what he was saying he was like the military they haven't had defections it's like you how are you supposed to overthrow a government if you're not going to have any defections from the military and he was like it never was going to happen they didn't have the support it was like the u.s was trying to force its hands so much to cause this revolution that they just started pouring in rebels from like like exiles from turkey and shit like non-syrians and that's what you see now like when we hear the term rebels it's like who are we even talking about we're talking about like kind of more affluent people who are from Turkey, from like other border towns who've just been trained by the U.S. government in there. It's not, they're not Syrian like leftists who are like protesting Assad no. for the right reasons. You know what I mean? It's just like the U.S. Yeah. When you go back to like, OK, what caused this crisis? 
before the Arab Spring, Syria had an open border policy where they took in three times as many refugees than all of Europe does today with the refugee crisis. Now, all the refugees, you know, 90% of them, not 90% of them, but like the majority of them are coming from Syria. So what happened during that time? Okay, you can't blame it on the Arab Spring, like unraveling this by itself without understanding that the empire immediately injected millions of dollars in cash and funding alongside the Saudi regime to try to force a fucking revolution, um, to force a color revolution. And guess what? It didn't work because you can't just have a shortcut to revolution. You just can't. And you can't have a shortcut to something like that. Um, and it was just a complete disaster. And so it's just funny that you know, they're just totally absolved from even their hand in like the origin of how this all happened. And a lot of these these so-called liberal journalists who want to who are pro Syrian intervention, they're helping rewrite history and are actually helping catapult the propaganda by not acknowledging those things that you are British bringing up, mm-hmm. not acknowledging that it goes back as far as 2006, not acknowledging that we've been funding this. Uh, the CIA has been funding rebels there for years and years and years. Um that's you're literally uh, be, being a propagandist at that point. If you're not at least right. acknowledging these things when you talk about Syria. So that's the strangest thing to me is how these people even have any credibility whatsoever. Um, right. And I think the only reason they do is because they're propped up and signal boosted by actual war maker, literal like paid propagandists. Like there's value in those kind of people's uh, point of view because it helps infect other liberals into defending the American empire. Um, and it's also trendy. It's trendy. And it's also like contrarian. There's a like weird trendiness said, and in contrarianism now, I think. But it's also like, like not, I remember um, Molly Crabapple wrote this op-ed when Liz Wall quit and it was good. I mean, at the same time, she called RT propaganda, but like her whole point was like Liz Wall's not doing anything special. She's just like playing into the hands of the U.S. government. And then taking that in, into account now, looking at, you know, <laughs> kind of the narrative, it's like, wait, so can't you just apply that same logic to right now? What we're seeing with all these people who are being that contrarian voice, you know? Yeah, no, um, absolutely. It just seems like, okay, you're not, you're, you're actually not doing anything but playing to the hands of the empire. And when people tell me, um, when people like concern troll me about how like, oh, you're just going to blame this on the U.S. It's like, do you understand that um, talking about empire doesn't get you a job? Do you understand that like doing this work isn't popular? No. And that it's really, really hard and that no publication will touch me with a 10 foot pole because... I do this work. So it's like, don't like it it sickens me when I see all these fucking people sitting on their high horses working for like establishment corporate publications and so-called alternative news sites that just do this. It's like, yeah, that would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Well, being a brown shirt, I mean, it's almost like when you're a brown shirt, you need to rationalize being a brown shirt. Otherwise you re it's like, then you'll, what do you, you'll have an identity crisis. It's, it's, it's cognitive dissonance, Abby. It's as simple Mm -hmm. as that. It's like you, if you're in that position and you've already ma- been married to this point of view that we need to intervene in Syria and all these other liberals are wrong or buying into Russian propaganda to not want to be, you know, it, it's it's like you're already you're doubling down on a lie. And you, if you've been doing it for like more than a month, you know, after you've, you're aware of all these realities, then you are either a pathological liar or you're just more married to an idea than you are to the truth or you're actually an intentional propagandist who is very suspicious. It's like, I mean, take your pick, you know, 
It's yeah. not, you have yeah. no credibility. You cannot be trusted. I trust a neocon more than people like that. Because at least and neocons put one, their yeah. shit on paper. They, they're right, actually no, exactly. very candid sometimes. Right, yeah. And it's like, oh, there yeah. it is. I, you just said that. Like, I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted to bring up one more thing for people who, who maybe are like shocked at what I said about Medaya. I'm going to link to an article right here from Liberation News about um, you know the reality of, of what's really going on there and how people were even interviewed there being like, no, this isn't like the rebels are you know withholding all this aid from us and stuff. So there's actually interviews on the ground with people. Um, a side note, all the, the images, and I'm sure that a lot of the images are valid, but the point remains that um, the, many of the images that I was seeing were actually not from Adaya. Um, they were like years old, n- not even from Syria, a couple of them. And guess where they all stem from, Robbie? It was so amazing. I woke up and I saw like um, Chris Hayes. I saw, uh, God, who's the guy that we like? <laughs> oh my God. Who's the guy that's in your movie? Why can't I think of his name? The guy on CNN. Oh, Jake Tapper. That that's ta- yeah, yeah. So he was talking about it, and then it was just like all over the place, right? Saying like Assad is just like a horrible genocidal dictator. Like, look at what. Where he did. did they come from? And then I, Syrian Emergency Task Force. No way, Robbie. I looked at the Syrian Emergency Task Force Twitter, and it was Moaz. Wait, so once again, the media, photos, the media and they were, got hoodwinked by the Syrian emergency. <laughs> yes, and they quotes. were retweeting all these photos. And then like Moaz, like like someone called him out that the photos weren't even like real. And Moaz was like, yeah, like, you're right. I apologize for that error. But like, thank you. Like, thank you so much for getting these photos out. It's like, what the fuck is happening? It's like, it's just unreal that it came from there. And all these people just picked it up. That's really, really disturbing. I mean, yeah. after all the scandals that place has gone through, you would think that um, they would already be toast. It, it really, really strange, Abby. I, 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 wow. Yeah. Yeah, and it was really funny. Dude, you, you seriously have to watch VJ Robbie, because it's so funny. He's talking about the ambassador on the ground at Syria, and he's like, he was just like, it's very important to understand that this happened. It's very important to understand that we immediately, within days of like phone, like civil dissent, that we sent a fucking ambassador to go, just like John McCain, John McCain in yeah. Ukraine, standing in the square, <sighs> rallying up fucking rebels. It's like, what in the hell? Like, I, do people realize that that happened? Do people realize what happened at that time that the CIA, you know, was involved in this giant operation? It's just like... It's so it's weird unreal. to me, I, and I, I just keep going back to this point. It's like they'll the the people I was just mentioning will act like that's some kind of like consp- like you're a bat shit. Yeah. Like the U.S. is in control of everything. Like the U.S. is pulling the what strings on like everything. What like if conspiracy Putin came to theorists wa- occupy Wall Street? What that. if Putin came to occupy Wall Street? Would you say? What if Putin came to occupy Wall Street? What? Wait, wait, wait. And it was wait. like. Sorry, I, I said, what if like a Russian diplomat came to occupy Wall Street? like Occupy Oakland and was like giving a rally, like held a rally telling us to revolt. Yeah, no, it would, it would be. That's what, that's what, that's what it is. Yeah, no, exactly. And then, and then, and then on top of that, the Russian government pouring millions of dollars and guns to, uh, to Occupy Oakland activists. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's actually it's actually way better because they weren't Islamic jihadist fucking fundamentalists like rebels who were off like offshoots of al-Qaeda. So yeah, it would have been a lot better if, if uh, you know, Occupy Oakland activists were armed with money and training and weapons. But yeah, I, I, you know, if that ever happened, then 
it's all hell would break loose. But so you know, the empire can do all these things, and no one ever wants to compare it to how absurd and ludicrous it would be if any other country was doing this. But no, the U.S. isn't an empire. It's so so strange. It's yeah. every time I, we get into talking about Syria, it just ends at, at the same weird place where it's like, how are so many people uh, sucked into this and not talking about how obvious it is that the U.S. is fucking around there and is making it yeah. worse? It's I just it's just like Ukraine. So it's confusing. just like Ukraine. It's just like Ukraine. Um, let's talk about. Flint really quickly because, um, you know, a couple of years ago, or actually about a year and a half ago, I went to Detroit and did a whole story on, you know, the foreclosure crisis, the water crisis. It was such a mess. I mean, Flint was one of like six cities or so in Michigan that um, filed for bankruptcy chapter nine and got taken over by an emergency management, essentially like a dictator that was just appointed by the federal government. Um, so these cities have been in this odd state where they've just been like it's like puerto rico like they don't have any actual like power you know they just like exist as like colonies it's very strange and under this whole umbrella of the emergency management system has been this privatization wave as you would imagine right like all you know corporate like corporations are going out to try to take over the water they're trying to privatize the education all this stuff i was doing a ride along with this guy who's been a pastor in detroit for like 20 years and he was just like you know we're driving along these horrible neighborhoods where one out of every five homes is like burned to the ground but there's like a new school that was built and i was like what the hell is going on he was like no they they've shut down all the like lights there's no electricity or like anything he's like even though the school exists and it's functional they want people to just leave they're just like at this point just trying to get everyone to move out of the neighborhood so they can level it and just sell it off to developers like that's how crazy it is and so fast forward to flint um, you know, the Roger and me stuff. It's where Michael Moore's from. It's where it was basically the first city to, I don't know. There's something that's like, it was like a really pivotal moment in like the American dream or whatever, this myth of like how Flint was like this landmark city that, and now it's like the most de devastated city in the, in the country. So it's just really an interesting um, dichotomy how, you know, GM and all these automobile industries start in this area and then of course that's the ultimate result of this fucking cronyism um that they just all leave and then the city is just totally devastated like a war zone so governor snyder is one of these assholes um who's been trying to save money doing cost-cutting measures and they switch the water supply from in flint from this river that everyone was drinking from forever to this horribly corrosive toxified lead-ridden water supply that was like it, i mean it was just like a no-brainer it was like where all the dumping waste from all the automobile industries had been for decades so it's like yeah clearly that's probably not the best thing to do um we just and then really so quick, he switches did, the where, water supply yeah where like what kind of um was it a reservoir was it a what kind of water supply was it I don't do you know no i don't know i don't so know they switch from the detroit river to something else or or, yeah, hold on. So, but but the, so they switched to a to a different supply because of uh, some kind of privatization deal. Yeah, some sort of like emergency management, like like totally just completely an unelected decision, like just this completely dictatorial decision to switch this water, unbeknownst to the hundred thousand people who live in Flint. 
Like it was just something that ha- I don't know. I, I can put a link to obviously someone who explains exactly what happened a lot better than me in terms of the water switch. But what's happening now is that fast forward a year and change later um, with like government and city officials knowing that the lead in Flint was like, I don't know, 30 times the level, 100 times the level in some places. And now because they didn't do anything and the EPA is culpable, too, this is like criminal culpability where these people actually need to be arrested. Um, Governor Snyder, all the people in charge of the Flint, whoever was had knowledge of this and members of the EPA. Um, and, and what happens with lead is that there's nothing you can do because you are permanently brain damaged. Um, when you're ingesting lead laden water for over a year, um, your IQ can lower 20 points. If you're, um, a developing child, if you're a pregnant woman, your baby will be born with deformities. Um, so now we're talking about a hundred thousand people in the city that are permanently brain damaged. Um, and, it's just astounding to me that nothing is really happening. Like I didn't even hear about the story until like Michael Moore held this press conference and it was like kind of eking out over the last couple of weeks. But I mean, this has been going on for over a year and it's irreversible damage. And um, I just, it's just, I'm just in shock (laughs) that, you know, we can bail out auto manufacturers and then there's like all of these cities that are just devastated as bad as fucking war zones and we just ignore them and there's no bailout for these people. And even if you donate a hundred million water bottles, it's probably going to last like a week because that's how much of an emergency the situation is. It brings up so many interesting uh, things that sort of cut through the, like a, I guess in a way, I don't mean to sound like cliche, but the sort of almost like the illusion we live under in this country mm-hmm. and and sort of the illusion of like how, sophisticated our infrastructure is and how Mm -hmm. nice things are in this country and how safe we are. It really cuts through all of that in, in this sort of jarring way, because what's jarring about it and confusing about it is the mainstream media ignored it for so long. And remember when we were kids, things like when the Exxon Valdez oil spill happened, it was like Mm -hmm. a media Mm -hmm. news story for months. And it wasn't even as bad as like the BP oil disaster. I mean, it was in some ways, but that story lasted for so long in the press that it was actually like a cultural touchstone moment that people will remember for their whole lives. Naked Gun, movies like were parodying the Exxon Valdez oil spill for like Mm -hmm, years mm -hmm, afterwards. mm -hmm. And I, I think what's interesting is back then, the only real difference between back then and now is that corporations are way more powerful now and control Mm -hmm, the media mm -hmm. landscape way more than they did back then. So meaning that if there is like a huge event that a corporation like does some major fuck up on and actually puts like thousands of people's lives at risk, we we are less likely to hear about the seriousness of that in the mainstream media simply because the corporations control the media. (laughs) It's like... It's actually really disturbing when you think about how easy that equation works out for them. You would think, oh, we have all these honest, intrepid, you know, journalists like Chris Hayes and Jake Tapper and all these people, like even on these corporate news channels, we we still have good journalists who are going to like talk about this stuff. They only talk about it until they're pretty much forced to when it becomes like a mainstream topic. They're not going to risk their their career and actually like you know, to, to go to their boss and say, like, I'm going to go to Flint and do, like, an investigative report. Like, you're not going to stop me. None of these people are going to do that. 
Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just fascinating to me that that many people could be literally getting brain damage from lead poisoning, children, adults, elderly people in a, in a city that large. And it's been brushed under the rug for this long. And we were talking about this before we even recorded uh, the podcast about how you and I, even when we first saw this story, like sort of float into our consciousness, we maybe even didn't quite process it or didn't maybe understand or even necessarily believe the seriousness of it. Right. Because, and this is a really sad thing that I actually feel ashamed to say that because it wasn't being reported in the news. Right. Right. And that's really disturbing. Like that's something this huge, this devastating, um, would, you know, and I remember there's people on Twitter telling me about it. And I was like, I was really wrapped up in, in editing the movie and like doing research for the movie. Yeah. I read a little bit about it. Like you and I have a very specific laser focus on like different things that the U.S. Mm-hmm. empire is doing. And we spend most of our time with that. So when something like this comes around, it's definitely like shocking and important. But there's only so much time in a day that we can devote to stories. But like now I actually regret not like looking at, into this sooner because... um it's it's absolutely shocking. I'm just at a loss for words about it. I know. And the fact that like these people are still not like arrested. You know what I mean? I mean, of course, they're not going to be. Heads never roll at the top. Um, and people are making to a partisan issues. Like I, I posted this article, super cut and dry. Like, let's demand that Governor Snyder is arrested because he oversaw this whole process, not just him, but I mean, let's start with him and let's start a huge investigation so we can find out who knew and who can be criminally um, held accountable because, you know, there's 100,000 people who have permanent brain damage and there's no terrorist in the world who's been able to brain damage and poison 100,000 people for over a year with, you know. That's so, total, extremely I think it's reasonable a, thing to say. Totally reasonable. Right. Yeah. And so all this, like half the people who responded were blaming it on like liberalism in Detroit somehow. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. how is this a partisan issue? I don't give a fuck if Governor Snyder's a Democrat or Republican. I just think that someone should be held accountable. How would you feel if you were living in Flint, Michigan, and you found out that you were drinking lead water and you had a fucking child? Like, it's completely beyond partisan debate or this like two party bullshit. But unfortunately, people are just... I think the election is making it worse. People are so wrapped up in the election and it's just so weird. We well, have to wonder and I and I know this this kind of makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist or paranoid when I keep bringing this up but I really you really do have to wonder when you read about all these things that like these giant billionaire PR groups like the Koch brothers mm-hmm. are able to mm-hmm. pull off where they're infiltrating as many political discussions as they can in comment sections mm-hmm. of websites and in, in, in activist movements to try to like basically politicize different issues that weren't politicized before or to turn certain issues like partisan. Um, yep. And I, I really feel like that is a technique that's being used on us to make us like instead of seeing this as like a populist, like the people versus the system. Yeah kind of issue very cut and dry this becomes some sort of weird partisan argument like divisive issue like when it, it doesn't make sense it's a totally like a populist issue right pure yeah. like pure populism yeah. the fact that yeah. like it's the people getting poisoned by the water uh with the a combination of the government and these corporate private um uh, entities being super fucking corrupt 
and yeah. not giving a shit. I mean, right. so it's it it is it's really it's a, it's and and this is the thing I think that everybody should be trying to fight against and I know it's hard to resist, but and and I fall into this trap a lot, but like try to resist the pull in those like sort of partisan or like divisive directions when it comes to things like this, like when it comes to things like war, when it comes to things like being poisoned by the water supply, like this is not a partisan issue or that shouldn't be right. blatantly right. wrong. And, and you should, uh, you should stand up against it. And- Cause guess what? You're fucking next. I mean, if this system continues on its path, Flint is not the only sacrifice zone, you know, it's, already all of michigan look what's happened um this is the government's response is is installing these crazy dictatorial emergency management systems Mm -hmm. um there's no bailout for the people there's no real incentive you know there was if i were a member of the epa and i saw those lead levels a year ago i would have immediately risked everything to be a whistleblower that's the strange thing too it's like where are these people that's that's the weird thing too it's like where how has the federal government been able to not intervene in this the whole time either? Like, yeah, why didn't the EPA jump in last year? You know, um, it's it's surreal because, like I said, we're under this illusion that these agencies, these regulatory bodies, that the government, the corporations, that you know, you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to keep something like this secret. You wouldn't be able to like do this. Somebody would blow the whistle. Well, obviously that didn't, you know, somebody did blow the whistle and people were talking about this a year ago um, and and it didn't get any traction. So what does that mean? Does that mean that conspiracies aren't possible? What What is that called then if it's not a conspiracy? what What is it? Is it just human carelessness that everybody is so careless, like a conspiracy of total carelessness and selfishness? I, I just... Well, yeah, and then it was funny because I said... Are you like I responded to the, to the people at first being like, wait, so are you saying that the liberal city poisoned the water? I'm so confused. And then they were like, no. So you're they're like, well, I don't think anyone deliberately poisoned the water. And I was like, no, I, I'm not saying anyone deliberately did. But here's the thing is after you see that it's poison and you don't do shit for a year, then, yeah, you're a criminal because then it does become deliberate when you don't stop it. Well, absolutely. Th- then it is deliberate. Think about it this way. This is a really simple analogy, but if you were a property owner, you owned a home and, and, your, and your source of income was renting this home out to different families or whatever. You had a, a new family move into your home and you, you know, say every, t- you know, I'm not saying property owners do this and it's not even their responsibility to, but like say you you did some kind of check on the water supply in the house, <clears throat> you tested the water, the pipes, and you found that there was an extremely high lead content coming into the, the water flow of the pipes in the home. And you knew that before you let this new family move in and you didn't do anything about it. You are criminally complicit in allowing this family or actually enabling this family to get lead poisoning, um, putting them in physical danger. You at that point become criminally complicit. Even if you had nothing to do with the the source of the problem at all, the fact that you were aware of it and you still let a new family move in and didn't tell them, didn't put it in the disclosures, um, didn't inform them, didn't try to rectify it, makes you criminally complicit. It's just weird to me that there's all these need to... I was just reading an article yesterday saying that like mathematically, like conspiracies aren't possible. 
And it was like talking about how, oh, well, the NSA prism stuff proves that some conspiracies are possible. But that, see, that like goes along with the equation here because that conspiracy got revealed like within four years because like 20,000 or like 30,000 people were in the loop on that one. This guy's worked out some sort of weird mathematical equation about like why giant conspiracies can't be like fundamentally can't be kept secret for very long. And it's just strange to me because it's like, well, how do things like this happen? I mean, like, you know, how long? I mean, a year is a long right. time for a lot of people to get, be getting lead poisoning. How many people knew about it? Conspiracies of silence are still yeah, very that's possible what it is. and they happen all the time. Absolutely. It's willful blindness. Yeah, willful blindness. It's, like, it's, it's yeah. the blurred line between a conspiracy of silence and like willful blindness. They merge at a certain point when you're talking about how... They're basically, you know, poisoning the the water supply and and all this stuff. I mean, it it, it reminded me that the that the X Files just came back on the air. Yeah. And uh, the X Files went into some pretty. They blurred the line between like conspiracy theory culture and sort of real issues that we're all sort of facing. Yeah. And and it's kind of it gives me a lot of mixed feelings. You know, like it, in some ways it's. There's some good aspects to that, but then in other ways it kind of makes it seem like all this stuff is, um, you know, a fantasy. Like it's not really happening because it's linked together with all this other crazy stuff from the show. Do you want right. to talk about? Right. Do you want to talk about the uh, first two episodes? Yeah. So let's let's. Uh, this is going to be a spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched it, so you might want to fast forward in the broadcast. But um, other than Scully's face being a little tighter. It was cute to see them together and it was really awesome. But the first episode was weird because right off the bat, you see this UFO crash and you see them executing this alien. And I was like, wow, it's so weird because in the old X-Files, it's like it was like so much more obscured and everything was kind of like in the shadows. And to come right out and show that I thought was odd. And I then like you have that, this though. Alex I, Jones. Did you like you it did? or would you, was it just I mean, I was just like, whoa, it was just like weird, you know, to like see that right off the bat. You're like, oh, it shit. Fucked, it kind of fucked me up. <clears throat> I was because it, it was. Yeah, no, you're right. They, you're right. They didn't. They usually don't show like aliens just like. I mean, like literally, it was almost like a guy, like a police, like <laughs> shooting. The alien was like crawling on the ground on his stomach and they just shot him in the back with like a handgun. Poor little alien. Yeah, it was so it was like pretty. I thought it was like a poignant scene, but yeah, no, it was. It was weird, but uh, but then immediately Mulder, you know, this woman tells him that it's not really aliens who are abducting her children; it's the government who's doing all these secret experiments. And then Mulder all of a sudden's convinced that all of his work for the past three decades were like a lie. Well, no, Ted O'Malley was the one who convinced him. She she oh, thought yeah. she was actually being uh, abducted by aliens. If you if you're a fan of the X Files and you watch the original series, um, this is probably the biggest like rewrite retcon they've ever done to like the narrative of the show, where they're basically saying that everything Mulder saw is is fake, is a hoax. Yeah, he was led to believe that, that there was this big alien conspiracy to control us, and it was all not real. It was actually just human powerful human elites. Right? I mean, is that pretty much... Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, every yeah. single time you saw any kind of alien abduction or anything before on the show, it was, like, staged by humans. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of an interesting premise. I mean, but it, it's obviously it doesn't hold water because we saw too many things on the show that can't be yeah, explained. Yeah, yeah. But I like... I guess I like this spin on the... 
it's almost like it makes the humans look more evil than the aliens in the sense that it's like the aliens came here to visit us because we were blowing up nuclear bombs. Like they were worried about like why we were doing this. So they came <laughs> to, to check on us. And then as soon as they came, they crashed uh, one of their crafts and we just like shot and killed the alien in the craft and then stole their shit and then used it to like enrich our population or not our population, but just to enrich the elites, I guess. Because they're implying that back in 1947, they had like zero gravity, free like energy, free energy yeah, yeah. propulsion technology. Yeah. Um, and that and that all the people who thought they were abducted by aliens were really just in this like human experiment. Yeah. Like eugenics. To make, to make it look crazy. Yeah. They even bring up the eugenics thing. I mean. Yeah. So what so what was your take on the Ted O'Malley character? I mean, what was your immediate like thought when he came on the screen? the Ben Zwan, Alex Jones character. Yeah. Joel McHale. Um, I, I thought it was, I mean, it was obviously like just Alex Jones, you know, like everything he said was like Alex Jones. I mean, I like that Mulder was like paying attention to him and stuff, but it just, it just seemed like when you're conflating so many ridiculous conspiracy theories, it just made it seem like a mockery, like everything was a mockery. So I don't really know what the creators were going for with that, but it was definitely interesting. Well, did you read? Uh, oh, did you read any of Chris Carter's like interviews about? No, no. I mean, he he pretty much acknowledged that it was based on Alex Jones, and yeah. he said something like, basically, when they when they made when they made the show, um, they felt that because the show ran, I think, until two thousand and two, the original series, so they were like oh. a lot of the stuff we were doing before nine eleven on the show, people it was almost like people were too sensitive for it. They couldn't do the things they used to do on the show after nine 11. And by, by that, I just mean like making like the bad guys, like the Pentagon, like making it seem like, you know, like the Pentagon itself was literally bringing in like pregnant women, taking out their embryos, you know, and like helping them be abducted and experimented on. I, I think they like the X-Files creators felt that, that that kind of story narrative was like too much for the American people to handle, um, that their government was like the like the bad guy basically behind the show. You know, like our government was like fucking insane. Um, and, you know, other shows like 24 and stuff kind of dabbled with that, but not quite in the same like dark, mm-hmm. crazy dark way. I mean, X-Files literally had like the guys in the smoky room, you know, like a character named mm-hmm. a cigarette smoking mm-hmm. man. They referenced the JFK assassination. They made it seem like this cigarette smoking man was the guy who actually shot JFK. Um, I mean, they've done they've done a lot of shit like that. So uh, it was interesting just how controversial, because even what we were talking about now, like the fact that Chris Carter would even base a character off Alex Jones, but then not make it a total parody, like that almost like upsets my sensibilities because right. after like right. my sort of like, you know, like sort of watch being a listener of Alex Jones and then being like really disgusted with the way he's evolved. Um, but in a way I kind of, I like it because it is kind of controversial. Like it is, Mm -hmm. it is sort of like not saying that it's going to like threaten the establishment to have a character like that in a show, you know, but it's controversial and that it touches on sensitive things. Like it, it sort of like affects and pushes the boundaries on your own sensibilities as a person to watch it. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, as ham-fisted and as cheesy as it was done, like, but but then again, I have mixed feelings about the fact that they're mixing mm-hmm. in like nine eleven, right, 
right, theories right, right. with aliens. Like, uh, right off the bat. Yeah, right off the bat. I mean, he was like, 9-11 is a false flag attack, and it all started with like Roswell in 1947. I was like, what yeah, the fuck? Yeah, and, and he's like, and they're going to come get our guns. It was just like, whoa. Yeah, and then, and then do you remember that conversation... Uh, Mulder has with him about like how he's just like a crazy right wing nut and he basically says that that's Mm -hmm. so he can like make money because like the Mm -hmm. real stuff that he's like researching that was weird too because it was almost like implying you know that someone like Alex Jones hits on a lot of real bullseyes but that he's sort of like nobody takes him seriously because he is a crazy right winger Um, which is kind of true I mean Alex Jones does talk about a lot of real shit but then he throws in all this other crap and garbage where it gets mixed in. And in a weird right. way, there really is a parallel in a lot of ways to what Alex Jones does to what the X-Files used to do. Like mixing together real conspiracy, mm-hmm. real government conspiracy stuff like the Tuskegee experiments and Ski- things like yep, that yep, yep. with aliens and fantasy. And Alex Jones does that with like New World Order, you know, full yep. sort of like techno utopian like new world order conspiracy theories like almost like i feel like alex jones has almost gone more like the david ike sort of route with that not reptilian people but like he thinks that like we're living in like a an hg wells style like scientific dictatorship you know yeah where we're like we're we're like the elites are trying to download their consciousness and like push singularity and it's it's gonna like destroy like the soul and just a lot of kind of like religious weird things mixed into that too. Yeah, and that and and you remember that whole <laughs> the whole rant that it was actually simultaneously cute, disturbing, and cheesy when Ted O'Malley and Mulder were giving that rant to Skull, where they were just like lecturing Scully about like how the, they're using like fast food to make us all fat and complacent, and then they were like gonna like take away all our privacy and like monitor everything we're doing and then like implant chips on us that was it was interesting because if it was in any other context other than in an exiles like a new exiles episode of Mulder and Scully I would have thought it was total crap but for some reason I really am curious to see where they're gonna go with that uh that whole thing and then at the end of course Ted O'Malley is discredited because uh the little alien abductee like girl he was going to prop up like got paid off to uh to to basically say that he would that she made it all up she shouldn't have done that because she got killed oh let's talk about don't that, ever do dude. it that was don't ever do it dude i'm don't ever do that i'm glad you brought that up because that that one scene i rewatched the episode again that scene f- fucked me up yeah, where she just got like drone bombed by like a free energy, like a UFO, like craft. it looked almost like <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, yeah. gonna abduct her. Like it was like yeah. the old school X Files, like an alien abduction yeah, yeah, scene yeah. where the UFO comes over, her radio goes off, her car stops. You know, the radio goes all out of tune, and then you yeah. and then the laser comes down, and then fucking it blows up yeah. her car like a drone. I was just yeah. like, holy shit, that's so yeah. weird. Like, and that's the one thing I feel like as ham-fisted and as like many missteps as they made in that episode, like that reminded me of like why I used to um, like the X-Files yeah. so much before. Cause it was like, even when they were sort of playing off all these generic conspiracy narratives and stuff, they always would throw in something extra that would like make it almost more abstract than the original yeah. mythology they're playing off of. Like that's, that's new shit. It's just like a really weird spin to put on it. Like they're going to use UFOs now to like, assassin like drone assassinate people to like cover yeah, their tracks awesome. like that's fucking weird yeah i like that a lot <laughs> it was really cool i like that scene it was very creepy 
I really enjoyed the second episode too. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about episode two. So episode two is great because it was like just you're catapulted the old school X Files. Yeah, and then an old school meaning like non, you know, like non mythology mm-hmm. monster, mm-hmm. monster of the week episode. I, yeah, I forgot what, what was. How did that episode start? It started where the guy was walking through some business and then he started to hear that sound. His oh. retina was scanned and then it became bloody and then he like heard the crazy like buzzing in his ear. Oh, and he stabbed himself him in the stuff. ear. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, extremely yeah. intense. Yeah, that was intense. Yeah. It was a great episode though. Yeah, no, it was it was really good. It, but it was it was interesting because I guess they only have six episodes to play with mm-hmm. in this miniseries that they uh that they're still trying to jam in. It was like half and half. They were trying to continue the story a little bit from the first mm-hmm. episode, but it was not, it was like a different story happening like at the same time. You know what I didn't understand? What? When it was showing, okay, did they give up their child at adoption or did they raise it? Were they having like fake memories? Like this is what could have been or did they actually raise a kid and then give him up when he was like a teenager? That's, that was exactly what I was wondering when I was watching it because I didn't... Uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people don't remember the f- the first uh, series of X Files, but I especially don't remember the last two seasons of the show because I because that was when Mulder left the show. In that time oh, period, season yeah. eight and nine is when they had the baby. Whoa! I totally forgot. Yeah, about see, that. like it was. I mean, and it wasn't. It wasn't very good either. It was like this because Mulder yeah. was gone. They replaced him with like the T1000 actor from Terminator Two. They even replaced Scully at a certain point because her character mm-hmm. just became like she was at home, like hanging out with the kid the whole time. I'm like 99% sure that at some point in between um, the last like episodes of season nine and then last movie, that movie sequel. Did you see that? I want to believe. No. So they did a second X-Files movie that, that came out like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And... I think they were implying that in between season nine and that movie that they gave William up for adoption, like when, like right after season nine. Mm. So everything, I guess, that they showed in this second episode, it was, must have been an imagination, like a dream. Right. I think they were saying like, that's how old he would have been if they didn't give yeah, him up. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so they just had like, a like, okay, cool. Yeah. I understand. And that was creepy. I liked it. And I, I, First of all, I don't like that they had wrote them having a kid together because they right, right, right. And even it's still super silly and frustrating that they're making it seem like they don't know for sure if it's their kid. Like almost like yeah. almost like implying that maybe they only like fucked once ever or something. It just it's it. They're still trying. They're they're still like teasing you with that. Even yeah. like they, you don't know yeah. if they right. even had sex. Like what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's super weird. But that was weird. Yeah, but those two scenes they showed, I thought were pretty fucking creepy. The one where she, where the kid was like eyes got black, and he was like, "Mommy." Yeah, yeah. She go, she goes into his so room creepy. at night. She like sees like light coming out of his door, and then she opens the door, and he's like got alien eyes. That was really good. Yeah, and then Mulder, like Mulder sees him getting abducted, like his sister, going out the window. Are you still there? So good. I can't wait till the next one comes on. Yeah. Love it. I'm just sad that it's only six episodes. I know. I, I really, really hope I that people why. are into it. You know, but it's weird. It's like, why would they, why would the premiere episode, they let a football game uh, like interrupt it? Dude. Oh my God. That's so fucking crazy. Is it any other premiere of a show that 
like popular and it was ever. It and, just it made me, so wrong. and it made me Fucked so sad it made me so sad that. too because mike and i were forced to watch a stupid football game because we were like all right we're waiting for the x-files and we're watching You're it and it just watch fucking it? never ended well i mean it never ended and we were waiting for the x-files to come on and then so we're like well shit we'll just watch it on demand and then so we go to watch it on demand and it's the fucking football game for half of the show and so then it just cut off. So we had to like get, find it online. Did it start it's at like least so sad. after the game or did it like interrupt it? Y- yeah, but it's only, no, it's only, it was totally after the game was over and then they just started the X-Files and then it only played for like a half hour and then it just shut off. But it was so sad because during the football game, like I just felt so bad for the X-Files creators and, you know, Mulder and Scully. I felt bad for their little characters because here they are, they're probably all watching ready for the premiere and it's showing a little countdown and everyone's all excited. You know, all the X-Files fans are excited. They have to fucking sit through a sports, to sit through sports. It was just, I just felt bad for them. I was like, oh, how sad. The whole cast is watching and they just see, okay, we just have to keep watching this football game because I guess no one cares enough to premiere this on time. I'm kind of wondering if like Chris Carter was a little bit like... Not blackballed, but like he, like he is like post nine eleven. Like the style of stuff that he was doing, it really almost was like not compatible with like the era mm-hmm. we're living in now. And it makes me wonder if like Fox is not really sure about if they want to court any controversy through the show, like if any of it arises. But at the same time, like there wasn't. I mean, people just seem to actually hate it. Like the premiere, the, I don't know if you've gone on really? Rotten Tomatoes, but it, it's got like a 30% or something. Um, what? Yeah. And almost all the negative reviews are like, yeah, these conspiracy theories were like entertaining and like fun to, you know, think about back in the 90s. But like now we all know they're like all debunked. They're st- stupid. Like we've heard of them all. And for them to like what? reference them is like really cheese ball. Like we, like it's, it seems really dumb and silly. Like it seemed that seemed to be like the general mm. gist of the reviews that I read. Wait, so what were they expecting X Files to be? Because have they ever watched it? I like think, that's I think that's but it, but it speaks to an interesting shift in our society. I don't even think it yeah, speaks yeah, yeah, to yeah, like because yeah. in a lot of ways, I mean, I the second X Files movie I was really disappointed by. I thought it, you know, even season eight and nine of the X Files I was disappointed by. I thought that they like kind of veered off of the direction they should have kept going on. But I, th- I thought this new miniseries brought back the spirit of the show like extremely well. I was really surprised how much it felt like we were right back in the universe um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the show, the same universe that I loved like back when I was in high right. school. Right, right, right. And it's, I mean, there's been a lot of shows that have tried to come back. Like they tried to do an Evil Dead show. They tried to bring back Mr. Show recently. All these different shows. Yeah, how's that one? Not very good. I hate to say it. I really wanted to like it. It's some of it's really funny, but just overall, no show that has tried to come back on the air. Arrested Development's another one that has been able to capture the magic of the original show, and somehow the X Files, after twelve years or whatever, it really did. Like that's alone is really impressive that they're able to pull that off, including the actors. Yeah, it was like they didn't skip a beat. I'm fucking excited to see what they're going to do with it. Me too. I really wish it was more than six episodes. And I really want it to be, I really want them to push the envelope on like the controversial sort of merging the reality, the conspiracy theory culture stuff with like the fantasy stuff. And I'm not as bothered by the fact that it's going to like, you know, like mix in real issues like surveillance and drones with like alien shit. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. There's plenty of other people who do that and who act like it's reality. This is a fantasy show. So it's not right, like, right, 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 right. it's not like, you know, they're not like Alex Jones going out there saying this stuff. 
as if it's true and being really hyperbolic and, and actually, um, you know, m- like muddying up the waters, they're, they're just, they're actually weaving it into some sort of weird kind of head trip thing. Yeah. And I, I'm okay yeah. with that. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, do, yeah, are you, what totally do you think agree. about that? Like, no, I totally agree. I think that, um, that's the only way they can do it really. Yeah. You know, but I mean, it does put a new spin on it. It make it brings it a little closer to home that they're mentioning stuff like the oil companies and stuff now. Like that's oh hell yeah. So that's oh hell yeah. I'm interested to see. No, yeah, where I really go like that. that. Yeah, totally. No, I I think it's great. I think it's great that they're linking in like NSA and all that stuff. It's really really great writing. I loved the little rant. What that that I said I loved the Ted O'Malley rant, like you were saying when he was like lecturing them, and he I I thought it was great. You remember when, when Scully's like, Mulder, are you sure you want to like go put, like say this stuff in public? Like, <laughs> yeah, and he was like, it needs to be said. It's <laughs> it really so good. great. She was like, this is extremely so irresponsible. I know. It's so cute because for Mulder, the character to be that out of the loop with access to the I internet know. is ludicrous. I know. Like, right? Like he wouldn't already have been watching all this shit for years and years. Like, I know. I felt so bad for him. It was like his whole identity was unraveling. <laughs> yeah, it was really And she cute. didn't want to listen to him. She didn't want to listen to him. It's cute, though, because that's a Mulder. Like, it's 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 like contradictory to his character in some ways, but it's also very him to like do that. Yeah. To get really excited yeah. about like a new theory someone introduced him to. Yep, exactly. He's just like everything we believed was wrong. This is this is it now. Like this is what's re- really <laughs> happening. <laughs> so cute. It was so great. I love I love it so much. When it, when is it coming on again? When's the next episode? I think uh, Monday. Yeah, and the cool. next one's next one's going to be a comedy comedy episode apparently. Oh, weird. Yeah, and then the the last one is going to be a, like tie up the whole plot from the first episode. So cool. Awesome. Yeah, I just want more though, man. Six episodes. I know. So, I know. So little. What the fuck? I know, man. Well, maybe if there's enough push from fans, maybe they'll do another one. You know, maybe Netflix will like pick it up, or I don't know. Who knows? Speaking of Netflix, did you know that they put out a um uh? So you remember? You know how a lot of people are like, are like, oh, Netflix is like breaking the mold. They're totally a different style of media company. They're not. You know, they're uncensored. Blah blah blah. I feel like they're big enough now where we're going to start seeing obvious like tells that they're like a generic corporation in terms of their content. Like they just put out a, uh, a documentary about Ukraine. that's like extremely generic, like pro the girl on the front cover with the flowers in her hair, pretending like that was like the revolution there. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, it's basically like a weird whitewashing, like, um, you know, from the perspective of the Ukrainian people, like, like movie, but it's an officially paid for like Netflix, uh, documentary. And the only, like, it's interesting because it's barely getting any press anywhere, but like RFE and interpreter, like all over it. Like, of course, of course. Oh, I wanted to say really quickly, it's sad when I when I see things like this new stupid uh, American Sniper style Benghazi movie with the guy from The Office. Oh, my God. Because it makes me because it makes me now not like him. Like now I don't like him. Now I don't like Emily Blunt. Now I don't like anyone who's associated with this movie. It's like, okay, if you're going to make this movie, then now I know that you have shitty politics. And unfortunately, it makes me not like you as an actor. It sucks that that happens. But like. I really love Emily Blunt, but like the fact that she's his wife and like thought this was a good role and like probably encouraged him and helped train him to get into character. 
show the real truth about Benghazi. Just it's just like ugh, it's just a total turnoff. Well, did you see him talking about it on Bill Maher's show? No, oh god, he was no. like super passionate about the role. It was really, really? weird. Really? Oh, good. I'm glad. Did he feel like the ghost of Chris Kyle was in him again? Like, like fucking what's his face did? Yeah, like, I it was really. Chris Kyle. It was, was like creepy. I felt like I was Chris Kyle. Really creepy. But I guess the one Does thing, un- the one so thing they stupid. do acknowledge in the movie, um, and and as many stupid you know things, the movie's obviously like some kind of propaganda exercise but the one thing they do acknowledge is that they're i think they acknowledge that that it was being used as like a cia weapons um depot oh that's good so at least they acknowledge that i mean that's like a weird fact that completely got ignored like through the whole mess of that whole discussion about benghazi like why wasn't it more talked about that this wasn't just some kind of embassy outpost it was also being used to like fun, like to. Oh, Robbie! It was all about the cartoon. Yeah, Don't yeah, it was understand? all about the cart. The it wasn't movie. about. It wasn't about the fact that Benghazi was a CIA outpost. It was that they were offended by cartoon. God, come on. See, I, t- I, I, I have to actually take back some of the things I said on a couple of episodes ago. I said, I think I said something like Obama tried to downplay or like tried to like change veer from like the way Bush used to talk about Islamic terrorism. And like try to like to get people not to be Islamophobic, but the fact that they put that out into the public like is completely contradictory to. Yeah, isn't that, that interesting? It's like way more insidious. Well, it's just absurd. Like, yeah, no, it totally it. fuels yeah. people like Sam Harris and all these other yeah. fascist dog whistle. You know, Islamophobia. You know, it's not Islamophobia; it's reality. Like people to put out something like that, saying that all these people were furious over a cartoon. You know, um, right. Or that Charlie Hebdo was targeted like because of a cartoon or any of that. Oh shit. my god! Did you see Charlie Hebdo's latest cartoon, Robbie? Yeah, I did. Yeah, Abby, you just don't just understand French wanted, humor. Yeah, you don't understand French I, humor. I, that French. I guess I need to be a. I guess I need to be a French bigot racist to understand Charlie Hebdo. Yeah. Is that what I need to do? Yeah. I love it. It's like you just you just you aren't sophisticated enough to understand this. It's like what are you talking about? This is like the most bottom of the barrel like fucking Nazi propaganda I've ever seen. Like, what do you mean? I don't understand it. It seems pretty clear cut to me. It's showing a bunch of migrants that look like monkeys trying to grab a white woman's ass and showing the dead Syrian child on the beach saying, this is who would have grown up to be an ass groper in Germany. What is there not to get about that disgusting, vile cartoon where the fucking dad of that poor dead kid said he cried when he saw it. Yeah, you're really furthering like the controversial dialogue. You're really doing a good job. Charlie Hebdo is so brave, really picking on the most marginalized people in society and just fucking mocking them with cr- completely Nazi, racist, crazy depictions. It's very brave. You know, they, they claim Charlie Hebdo, you know, they, a, lot, a lot of people say, oh, they lampoon like establishment figures all the time. I mean, Seems like they they spend a lot of time lampooning like the most yeah like the most marginalized people in society, which is really odd uh, thing to do, you know, for a magazine that's supposedly yeah. interested in like like being controversial and fighting the establishment. It's like it's controversial in the sense that it's like fascist baiting. It's like it's stuff that yeah exactly that that um that that is like red meat for fascist racists. Right. So good job. If that's the yeah. kind of humor you want to put out, you know, that's... Yeah, it's like, it's like I, yeah, it's free speech, I get. Like, I'm I'm not going to go out there and march and defend Charlie Hebdo, because I don't, I think it's a vile publication. Do I think that the cartoonist should have been killed? No, of course not. 
But I, I don't think that it's like this pinnacle of free speech that we need to be centering campaigns around and and uh, issuing pen awards to. <clears throat> it's just ridiculous. Come on. Let's talk about reality. Yeah. I'd go out there and protest for Anwar al-Awlaki's free speech rights um, way faster than I would go out protest for uh, Charlie Hebdo's yeah. free speech rights personally. But <laughs> I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk a little bit really quickly about, uh, the last documentary that we did for Empire Files about oil. Um, I think everyone should watch it. It didn't get a lot of love. It barely really got played. And I think that people should really check it out because I learned a shitload researching it. Um, you know, it's like a perfect rebuttal to people who say that the market like works and, you know, that if like capitalism is functional, right? Okay. So. The problem is that when like production was flourishing and oil became the pivot of the modern industrial economy and Rockefeller was one of these three families, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers and the Dutch royal family. Hold on one second. I dropped. Okay, wait, before you repeat it, did we already have this conversation about, did I tell you scientists? Yeah. He's like a peer reviewed. He's like actually pretty well known in like his field. Yeah. He claims also told him that his job for the CIA was to basically work for oil companies using CIA assets and resources, meaning spies, to find the actual real oil reserve levels in all these hostile countries for oil companies. Wow. And I can't, you know, I don't know if this theory can be proven, but I mean, it seems extremely uh, believable and logical to me because the CIA, I mean, had been involved in the oil um, trade from the very beginning, the very beginning of the CIA. It's just something I've sort of heard. It sounds very believable, but. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There might be, there might not be like a paper trail of it. But I mean, when you look at how, you know, we talk about NSA trolls and infiltration of the Internet based on the Snowden documents that we know about. Um, we also know that BP issued a slew of online trolls through this PR firm um, to debunk people about the oil spill. And that's just one example that Dar Jamal like did a huge investigation and found out like through retroactively like tracing all these trolls. So it's like that that's just like one person's investigation to prove that BP had hired these online personalities. Can you imagine what else they're doing? That sounds conspiratorial, Abby. I think you sound a little bit paranoid. We only know that they did that. We have no proof whatsoever. It's pure speculation. It's just did anything. It's just like these. We're talking about multi-billion-dollar corporations (laughs) that thrive on like people believing disinformation and and like stuff to keep their survival, like to keep them in control. So it's like, of course they're going to do that. That's like the PR arm you know that's the pr arm of the corporatocracy so it's just like it makes me really skeptical about ever anything that i read online like i actually come across a lot of people who are like defending oil companies or like nuclear energy and stuff and i just can't help but wonder like why are you dedicated to just defending oil companies it makes no sense it's like shouldn't we all agree that we shouldn't be using oil like shouldn't we all agree that we do want to harness renewable energy with the earth like what Unless you're like working with the oil industry, I don't understand. You know what I mean? It's like we know that it's like polluting. Even if you don't believe in climate change, you understand the concept of pollution, correct? 
<clears throat> it's just bizarre. But anyway, um, this oil episode is really interesting because it talks about just these three these three families that everyone, you know, all these like New World Order people are like the Rockefellers. But it really is crazy how powerful this motherfucker was. He was the he was the world's first billionaire. If you can believe that. Um, and it's just crazy. It's just like when did he hit a fat billion? cats and top hats. Uh, I think it was after Standard Oil was broken up. So this is the really fascinating thing is that what, 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 these oil what companies, or? this was like in the early 1900s. Oh, okay. So the oil companies got so powerful because Rockefeller, um, the Rothschilds and the Dutch Royal family, like, you know, they, they basically use all these crazy gangster tactics to buy up all the, the competing refineries at the time. They would either cut off the supply lines entirely or they would like deter routes they would just like buy out the refineries themselves um it's it's amazing so they basically did all this crazy shit to get to that point where standard oil which was like the first that first billion dollar oil company was formed and harnessed 90 percent of like the world's oil refining capabilities at the time which is insane or the country's oil capabilities sorry um but at that time what was so crazy about it is that you know there was all these mass protests standard oils uh, Workers were on strike. It was like a revolt in the streets because they weren't getting fair wages. They weren't getting fair hours and all this stuff. So the government stepped in and they were like, look, this corporation's way too out of control. It's this insane like monolith who's not only like crushed all the competition, but it's also like conspiring. And they actually got charged with criminal conspiracy with General Motors and a bunch of other automobile industries to kill the electric car, to kill all like electric railway systems. That's why we have, you know, freeways paved everywhere and we have little public transportation in this country. It's all like basically a provable conspiracy in government documents from the oil companies and the automobile manufacturers. But so the government stepped in and said, look, these corporations are, this corporation is so massive. We need an antitrust law that breaks it up. But, you know, in hindsight, it, it did nothing. All it did, they basically broke it up into like 30 companies, but they gave every standard oil owner a stake in the new company. And fast forward to today, all the standard oil spinoffs, Exxon, Mobil, um, Chevron, all these companies are just now merged again. So now we have Exxon Mobil, we have Texan Chevroco, uh, Chevron, Texaco Chevron, and now we have BP Arco. So like all these things just became smaller and smaller over time and look how strong oil is today so it's like even when the government tried to do that it's like it didn't work because it just shows you how powerful these corporations really were and um now oil just controls the government where it's just they have industry lobbyists that are just in this revolving door so entrenched that i mean look at the bush administration it was like that was a dynasty that came from oil and everything Bush did in his administration and everyone that he had on his administration from Condoleezza Rice to Cheney just pushed that oil policy and cemented it to now where, you know, Obama administration has pushed the U.S. into the main oil and gas producer in the fucking world. And Obama was all about getting off oil, but moving to fracking, which is like causing earthquakes. I mean, it's just like, dude, it's just so crazy how much control these companies really have. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican. It may have been more obvious during the Bush administration, but it's just so, so crazy. Um, and to see like history repeating itself a hundred years later and we're in the same position, except much worse because we have decades of just like environmental degradation and destruction from these companies. And if you look at something like Hurricane Katrina, you may think that, oh yeah, it's the levees. It's, 
you know, government incompetence, it's this and that. But really what it was that caused that horrific disaster was that the oil companies dredged the Gulf and removed like hundreds of miles of mangroves and all these like natural Gulf protections that would have protected something like that hurricane. It's not that people just moved to the Gulf because they're fucking stupid, you know, and they're like, oh, whatever, we can have a hurricane any day and we're just going to fucking be sitting ducks. It was like, no, it's the oil companies just complete impunity to, to destroy everything, you know? Yeah, that was so an interesting it's just, part it's of It's just that. infuriating. Yeah. It's, it's, God, remember how back when <clears throat> during Hurricane Katrina there was a crazy Republican talking point going around suggesting that the people who lived in New Orleans were basically as dumb as people who would live on the side of an active volcano? Yep. Yep. Fucking insane level of like right. psych, like psychopathic um, mentality yep. would go into that talking point. Whoever yep. constructed that shit. They're simultaneously like an evil genius and like the biggest fucking piece of shit to ever exist. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's crazy. <laughs> right. It is. But it is. No, it's so weird. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about ExxonMobil. Like the fact that BP um, actually hired trolls and some of those like troll accounts can be linked to actual death threats and stuff um, is fascinating because it totally. Um, sort of proves par- partially like the theory that I was laying out earlier that like corporations have the the messaging and the narrative so much more locked down now really than they ever have before. I mean, we're living in a new era of corporate messaging that has become so sophisticated um, that it's really, really creepy. And um, it's just insane how it's like you're almost considered paranoid conspiracy theorist for suggesting that, you know, but it's couldn't, have, yeah, it couldn't be so any more obvious. Look at the power they well, have. Look at what we do. It's so true. It's like, it's like, it, forget about us apologists. It's like corporate apologists. It's like people who just like blame the government for everything, but then they're like, whatever, like it's all the government's fault. They can't see that corporations do the same shit, if not worse. It's like, there's zero accountability for corporations. No, at this point, the American like a, government, there's so many tentacles um, of corporations connected to them that it's like, it's really, there's really virtually no difference. I mean, you know, I mean, you go all the way back to the formation of the OSS, Smedley Butler, Wars a Racket. It's the same thing now. It's just has this sheen of total, like, normalcy over it. This one guy said when I was talking about U.S. empire and how devastating it's been, and he was just like, well, would you rather have Saudi Arabia fill the void? And I was like, hold on, aside from that bizarre false dichotomy that you just presented, that the empire would be Saudi Arabia. I was like, it's just so weird. It's like because... I was like, first of all, I saw that he was a Marine, too. And I was like, so do you know what Smedley Butler said about because he had like a Smedley Butler like thing on his thing. And I was like, you know, that Smedley Butler said that he was just like a gangster for capitalism and all the shit that he was involved in. And this was like a century ago. And yeah. He was like, yeah, I know that. I agree. And he was like, but I still like think the U.S. is better than any other country that would be doing this. And it's like, so it's just like a total apologist and like an aware apologist who's like, no, I totally think that this is fucked up. But like no other country would be better doing it. It's like empire has to exist. So who would who would come in its place? Saudi Arabia? Not really understanding that Saudi Arabia is literally just a client state of the U.S. that wouldn't sense. exist if it weren't for the U.S. It's such yeah, a it weird... But it's like, it's just weird. Just oversimplified view of looking at things. It's like if an American empire, what's called the American empire fell, in reality, it would it would have to be like the entire world economic system collapsing. 
Because that's right. really what the American empire is now, because it's not just our country and our military and our military presence. It's our economic presence and all the corporations that used to be American corporations that are now like international corporations. Right. Right. That use America as an engine for their world. I mean, I hate to put it this way, but like world domination. I mean, yeah. America is simply the tool that these companies right. use. And I think that's more the more like a almost more accurate way to look at it. It's not like right, right, the right, American totally. empire is like driving all that. I mean, I mean, it is, but it's not like the country itself and our leadership is. It's these yeah, it's fucking, it's the empire. money. Mm-hmm, Obviously, mm-hmm. it's the money that's driving this. Yeah, policy. it's not like just the American ideology. No, I mean that's you know, the, like... and that's the interesting thing about what these neocons do is they try to make it seem like it really is all about this like American ideology and like mm-hmm, why we should mm-hmm. prop up American hegemony. But it's almost like it's trying to rationalize something that's already cranking away that's led by the economics and the capitalism of the situation. They're trying to rationalize like a cog in the wheel. Um, you know, I, I, other ra- rather than like even going like going to that the the whole like sort of paradigm of situation. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's um, it is a very strange era we're living in. You know, where now it's like yeah, it's like you you get called some sort of like hippie or you know um, like like regressive if you're like I want to see more CEOs in handcuffs. Like, yeah. like what? Yeah, right. Like that's not something that most people can agree with. Like, I'm a regressive right. for saying that I want to see more CEOs in handcuffs that are like corrupt criminals. Like, what? Like, how could anybody disagree with that? You're so regressive, bro. <laughs> so regressive. Why don't you want total corporate tyranny, Robbie? You regressive leftist. Oh, speaking of that fucking lying asshole, um, Nawaz, Nawaz, that his name. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw um, Nafiz Ahmed's brilliant takedown of him. Um, that guy was a literal UK government funded anti-Islam propagandist for like over a year. Yeah, he was like an official advisor to the UK yeah, government. Yeah, he got like sheep dipped. It's like one, another one of those like Jamie Kirchick style guys who was like a, a literally an official bought and paid for government propagandist totally. who is now like totally. a private citizen who's really concerned about Islam Wants yeah, to make exactly. sure Islam's doctrine. Exactly. It's like it's like I'm sorry, dude. I can't take you seriously. You were working for the government. You know, it's just so bizarre. That, and then spreading he, and then this war on the terror. fact that he actually like tweet when you were talking about using the term aggressive is like the language of an empire, baby, basically. Yeah. And he like responded yeah. to you. Like yeah. how how great is that? That a literal David Cameron funded million dollar funded propagandist yeah, would yeah, bother yeah. to tweet at you, like. It's just really fascinating to me that just how, I mean, that means you're doing great work is basically what I'm saying, that if yeah, you're, you're yeah. getting to these people, I, it's just, it's just so funny that so many, I, I mean, it, it's, it's funny, but it's also, it makes me sad how many intelligent people that I know or kind of are in my social circle who are, um, who are sucked in by that. And, uh, but I mean, I, I mo- mostly just, I feel compassion and a little bit sad that, it's like it's basically they're afraid. Mm-hmm. They're fearful mm-hmm. people. They're afraid, and I feel bad for them for that reason. Um, and they've been played right. um, by an right. intellectual fascist dog whistleblower. Um, and I'm I feel sorry for them. Yeah, I think that that's instead of getting so angry because it's like you feel like you're talking to a brick wall, you know. Yeah. Sometimes, but I think instead of feeling like that, you have to liken it to 
the just veil of fear um, that blankets someone's judgment and logic that happened after 9-11. We're seeing the same thing now where these people are kind of veiling their bigotry and yeah. resonating with people like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and this douchebag who's funded by David Cameron. And, and it is a sad thing. And I really do actually empathize with these people. And I'm going to actually stop getting so angry and start trying to um, understand that it really does come from a place of fear and insecurity. Um, and it, and it is sad and, and desperation, that, you know, and desperation. Yeah. yeah we don't, and, we, we live in a secular society and, and, mm-hmm. and, and there's something about new atheism that has a lot of interesting parallels to religion where it's like you get so married to an idea, which is really what religion is in a, in a, a really basic form that you, you can't separate yourself from it. You're so committed to this idea that Islam is a, is the greatest uh, threat we're facing. It's like it becomes a religion at that point for you. You just become super committed. It's like having compassion for it. Because think about it this way. Would you get angry at like a 70-year-old grandma who's watching Fox News uh, right after 9-11 who puts duct tape on her windows because she's scared of a chemical weapons attack? Would would you get angry at her? You'd almost feel sorry and compassionate for her because it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, the fear really got to her. I feel, you know, that's that's really sad that the media can drive someone into such a paranoid, hysterical, irrational state. I feel the same way. It's the the people who are sucked into Sam Harris are really not that much different from that. They're just doing intellectual backflips and like cartwheels to get there, like to get themselves from that that fear reaction to their belief system. Um, and it really is the same mental process they're going through is that 70-year-old duct tape wielding Fox News watching grandma. It's just a new form of it. Another thing that I've noticed that's a recurring theme in a lot of the um, concerned trolls that are new atheists or so-called new atheists, it's like I have no problem with atheism. I'm an atheist or I'm, I'm agnostic. Um, I do not have a problem with people saying religion is like bad you know i i agree like to a certain extent but what i find really interesting is that 99 percent of the people who are trolling me about it um and i've started to look at everyone's profiles just to see who these people are because i think it's an interesting thought experiment and that's how i came to this conclusion so far is that 99 percent of them all they do is talk about islam so it's like we're talking about two different camps of people here that they like to paint us into generalizing which is that they're saying that we're you know, they're just criticizing all religion and they're just concerned about us as leftists by not being progressive enough to understand how regressive Islam is. Right. But but unfortunately, that argument would hold much water if all they did wasn't just like obsessively, hysterically fear mongering about Islam to like just different accounts all day. Yeah. Comfortably and like posting really racist. Own. Yeah. Like like com- posting all these like extremely like racist cartoons and depictions of like Muslims and stuff. I'm just like, wow, like these people actually aren't just concerned about how Islam is bad with women and um, that people are repressed under it. They're actually just super fucking racist. No. And yeah. yeah, And I was just going to say, you'll see a slice of it. I mean, the most of them are like coded racist, um, which is racism. It's just, you know, it's just, they know how to speak the language. You know, they, they don't say sand nigger and things like that, but they, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. they're pretty much are, they're just not saying really vulgar racial slurs. Then there are other people who are blatantly racist and you'll Mm -hmm. see a shit ton of them 
who are followers of Sam Harris and, and the Quilliam Foundation and all these other people. And it's interesting that Sam Harris and, and Nawaz and, and all these people, they don't acknowledge that they're actually fanning the flames of crazy racists. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge that uh, that these people are your followers. And I think that what's interesting is as much as they can criticize you and me for being really anti-U.S., and being paranoid or whatever. I mean, I noticed this, that we don't have that many followers who are like crazy, blatant racist. I mean, like there's like a sliver of like fringy, you know, like anti-Semitic people, you know, we'll all see sometimes in our comments, but like the amount of people who follow Sam Harris who are blatant, like out of control racist is actually really alarming. If I was actually concerned about like stemming things like bigotry and getting people to be more reasonable and rational... I would be extremely interested in cleaning house of my own fan base. Like mm-hmm. the fact that mm-hmm. he's not and he doesn't even seem to care, it's actually kind of disturbing. It, it reinforces a lot of the worst things that people think about him, that he actually knows consciously that he is blowing a fascist dog whistle and he does not care about the consequences. It's more important for him to blow that fucking whistle constantly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, than it is to worry about how many uh, ra- that's racist world, fringy world in the U.S. that he's fanning the flames of. He's making more. Yeah, unlike unlike Sam Harris, I block people on Twitter and Facebook, and you know who are saying really crazy, racist, bigoted comments. I, I just block them. But unfortunately, he just thrives on it. Yeah, he thrives on it. I I think as soon as you start blowing that fascist dog whistle. You are on my shit list immediately. Well, even, but I, even I, more it, hilariously, like audacious is Richard Dawkins, who just oh a couple days ago God. tweeted this horribly offensive tweet about the Queen of Jordan. Yeah. Who's like this beautiful woman, uh, but, you know, she's like a modern Muslim who has her hair down, looks Western. And he tweets, this is what a good Muslim woman looks like. Her hair down and like the way she dresses. This is a good Muslim woman. And it was like, it was just, it just, it just sounded so old man, like misogynist. I was like, oh my God, you are so disgusting. The fact that you just like tweeted this out saying like, yeah, like I have a hard on for this Muslim. She's a good Muslim. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's uh, uh. Richard Dawkins is another, is a whole nother level. But the fact that he even like proudly associates with him is, is really tells you a lot too. Yeah. And and I'm not even talking like my friend, Emily, who um, I lived with in San Diego. She's like one of the most progressive people I know. She's a world traveler. She was telling me when I met up with her, she was like, yeah, I love Sam Harris. I've read all of his books. I don't really get like the whole controversy with you two. And I was just like, and that's totally fine. I was like, you aren't who I'm talking about. You know what I mean? It's like that. That's what I think a lot like Sam Harris's followers who maybe haven't seen his diatribes about islam and stuff and maybe read like a book or two about atheism and they're just like yeah like i agree with him about spirituality and this and that and about like how he you know he practices buddhism and that's like what she liked and so i was like no that's that's fine like like i'm talking about how all of the people that i'm interacting with are like rabid islamophobes yeah and it's stemming from this ideology. So it's like, I'm not trying to insult people who are atheists. I'm not trying to insult people who are into spirituality or like this kind of line of thought. But it is just a very interesting tendency that Islamophobes um, use it as a mask. And there are, and a lot <clears throat> of them are like very aggressive 
online trolls only. Right, Like, right, most of the people right. I know in real life who are fans of Sam Harris are more like Emily, where they're able to, yeah. like, agree with me on, like, most shit, but yeah, then they also, yeah, like, yeah, earn yeah. Sam Harris. Right, and, right, right, right. Um, and there's two things I, that I wanted to bring up about that is that is that Sam Harris, just in a vacuum, if you only look at his writings on religion and neuroscience and even just Islam in and of itself, like I could see how you could also be like anti-US imperialism and and be into that shit. But the problem arises as soon as he's and, – and I'm not saying that I agree with his thoughts on Islam at all just in that vacuum. I totally disagree with it. I think it's propaganda. I think it's complete horseshit, manipulative horseshit. But when he starts to connect that to his beliefs and his biases about US foreign policy is when the problem starts to become like a gigantic glaring red flag where it's immediately apparent that his beliefs on Islam are very much linked with his beliefs on US foreign policy extremely so fundamentally linked that you cannot separate the two from each other um and he believes in he's an apologist for US empire time and time again he acknowledges the, the the things that you can't deny about US crimes like any smart neocon apologist has to do and then he tries to downplay every single other thing that's still like an arguable debatable point he'll quote the lowest numbers uh, he you know anything like that so like lowest death counts in Iraq um, or or he'll pull the other guy's comment, which is like, who would you rather have? It's like the U.S. is clearly mm-hmm. the best person to be doing this, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's fascinating to me that um, his fans, I don't think, are as aware of that belief system of right. his as some of the other things they're aware of. Um, right. And oftentimes when you'll bring it up to them, they'll be like, are you sure you're not misquoting him? Like, did he actually say that? Yeah. And be like, yeah, he actually said that. Um, so you'll find sometimes you'll find an open door with certain new atheist kind of friendly people who will be really alarmed when you bring up to them some of these devastatingly untrue and um, apologist things that Sam Harris has said about U.S. military mm-hmm. actions. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really shock them, I think, sometimes if you if mm-hmm. you find the right kind of people. People online, mm-hmm. um, like I said, I think a lot of them are blatantly like coded racist and then also just blatant racist and they're not going to listen you know because they're using sam harris's intellectual cover to fuel their own bigotry Um, right it's as simple as that right um well let's wrap it up yeah um so i can't everything so i got a couple no no i don't think we did okay i don't think we did um if anyone wants to donate to MediaRoots.org, I can't stress enough how important it is to put in the donation line that you're doing it for the podcast. My brother's been doing a lot of great work uh, alone, um, and I use the donations mostly just to maintain the website and stuff. So, yeah, it would be great to know, um, you know why you're donating and where it's coming from, and um, we really appreciate you listening. Um, thanks for listening to our rant for so long and let us know what you think on the SoundCloud timeline. We'll link to a couple articles that we were talking about, um, and videos and stuff like that. And, and be sure to check out my brother's new documentary part three coming out soon. Yeah. Um, you can, uh, you can rent it on, um, and I'm announcing for the first time just now. I haven't, I haven't said this anywhere yet publicly, but filmsforaction.org is actually going to be running a special uh, free streaming uh, viewing link of A Very Heavy Agenda Part 1 
uh, for the next week. So starting on oh, Monday, that's awesome. uh, for the next for seven days, you'll be able to watch for free a very heavy agenda part one. Um, and then you'll be also be able to buy, download both one and two for like a special bundle price off of Films Reaction. That's great. Um, you can also watch it directly on my Vimeo On Demand page, which is um, if you go to, hold on, let me double check the URL. If you go to uh, vimeo.com slash on demand, a very heavy agenda um, or a very, very heavy agenda, the number two. So vimeo.com slash on demand slash a very heavy agenda or slash a very heavy agenda two, and you could download it or stream it um, from there. An, e- an easier way might just to be to go to mediaroots.org. There's a link uh, for both yeah. parts. Yeah, or if you go to uh, a very right heavy agenda.com, yeah, uh, it's just embedded there. Yeah. You click yeah. the little watch now button on the trailer. Um, you, you start playing the embed, it'll play the trailer, but then you have to click uh, watch now to actually go to the like the rental page and I'm doing a soundtrack for it. Um, soundtrack release, which is coming out in March and part three of the movie will probably be coming out, um, sometime in late March as well. Um, and I can't stress enough. I know that it's, you know, people might not want to pay to watch it the couple bucks, but, um, it's totally worth it. My brother worked his ass off for months and months and months scouring footage that you have never seen before. And it's just a really important, um, historical, uh, puzzle, you know, puzzle piece to have and put together and understand what really happened. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, and be sure to also subscribe to empire files so you don't miss an episode on YouTube. Well, it was good talking, Abby. Um, yeah, it was great talking to you and, uh, definitely check out empire files and, um, get caught up on Abby's most recent episodes about oil in Syria, and uh, you did a really good one about Islamophobia. Also, um, that was an interview. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Uh, can watch those all online for free. And yes, please donate to our podcast. Um, and uh, we're gonna try to get some some more stuff up there soon. And check out our interview with, um, or sorry, my interview with uh, Barry Crimmins, uh, stand-up comedian, activist. He was uh, at Camp Casey with Cindy Sheehan during the Bush administration. I recommend every everybody check out that interview. And uh, did an interview with Pierce Redman also recently on Media Roots. Thank you for listening to Media Roots Radio. This podcast is the product of many long hours of hard work and love. If you want to encourage our voice, please consider supporting us as we continue to speak from outside party lines. Even the smallest donations help us with operating costs. If you do want to donate, please give a shout out to Media Roots Radio in the information line so my brother and I can thank you the next time we do a podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you.